You are listening to The Tish with Rabbi Michael Knopf, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about Rabbi Michael Knopf, please visit MikeKnopf.com. For more information about other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. The Torah in laying out the Jewish dietary laws for the most part, and remember, like I said, uh, and we'll get to this in just a moment, uh, the dietary laws are not exclusively in like one clump in the Torah. There's not just one law that says thou shalt keep kosher. They're scattered in a lot of different places. Um, And then, you know, later we sort of lump these together and say like, okay, these are all about eating, so this must, we'll just categorize these into one thing. Um, but but almost none of them uh, carry with them um, uh, an, an explanation, a rationale for um, for why these are being laid out. Um, and the ones that do, um, I, I think, are are so um, uh, opaque as to be totally unhelpful in the question of. Um, you know what? What is uh, what is what are our ancestors, or what is God, depending on how you view it? Um, what what is the Torah trying to um, achieve by um, by having us um, eat in this way or not eat in this way? Um, and so it's up in a lot of senses to interpretation um, uh, to sort of analyze the data that's in front of you and uh, and and see you know um, why it is think you know sort of why it is that uh, the 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 Torah and the Jewish tradition would have us eat certain things or not eat other things. Um, much of it is speculation because the Torah itself doesn't say. Although it can be pretty good speculation and it could be some of it not so great speculation. Um, I'll give you a couple examples of that, but uh, 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 the other aspect of the data is um, what happens to a person or to a community of people when they eat like this, right? And so uh, Gary said, you know, uh, cohesiveness and cohesion, right? So I can actually, you know, um, I I may not know the uh, answer if I ask, you know, if I go to the Torah and I say, okay, like, why are we supposed to keep kosher? The Torah won't say anything. But if I look at what a community looks like that uh, observes the dietary laws um, uh, pretty uh, uh, rigidly, um, I can see certain effects of it. Some of them may not be great, but some of them uh, might be good. And so then I can say, okay, you know, might that have been the reason that the Torah gives these laws was to do X, Y, or Z thing? And I say, well, look at the results, right? Um, that doesn't necessarily mean all of them are good again, but uh, but that's another way of doing it. So, um, so like, you know, like all, uh, um, like all literary scholars and religion scholars and historians and uh, and you know uh, um, statisticians, right? We we got to look at the data that's in front of us, and uh, and and make the best analysis of the data, right? Um, but the Torah itself doesn't tell you what the analysis is, right? Um, so, as a couple of people mentioned. Um, a uh, very popular theory about uh, the Jewish dietary laws um, that was promulgated in um, in the 19th century by the early reform movement was that they were primarily related to uh, health concerns and health issues. Um, that was a, um, a worthy thesis. It turned out to be um, uh, to, to not hold up so well under analysis of of the data, right? And so, you know, the question is. You know, if, if we 
say that, for example, the Torah forbids pork because of a fear of trichinosis, um, then uh, it should stand to reason that before the Torah was uh, written, lots of people were dying of trichinosis. Um, and the Torah wanted to uh, uh, legislate something that would prevent people from dying of trichinosis. And it turns out that uh, no such epidemic of tri- trichinosis in the, in the Near East was ever reported. Right? So it turned out that that, um, that theory didn't hold up so well to the analysis. So if you ask me today, were the dietary laws primarily given for health reasons or for health concerns, my answer would probably be no to that. Um, Although Maimonides in the uh, 12th century uh, makes a different kind of argument for for health issues with relation to kashrut, which is in some ways related to self-discipline and and, and mindfulness. He talks about, you know, um, uh, milk and meat being like, um, like, heavy and rich food items, right? And if you eat them together, it's like doubly heavy and doubly rich. Um, and, and Maimonides is all about how a person should live in like the Aristotelian golden mean, right? You should like not too much, not too little, but you should like be Goldilocks. You should live just right, right? And um, um, as we said, you know, the, the, that's what the Torah is aiming at for human beings. They're trying to like, you know, not, not get you to, to be like a, a monk, right? But not get you to like, like gorge out on Big Macs. So it like wants you to like, you know, uh, like moderate yourself by not eating these things together and, and, uh, and, and things like that. Um, on analysis, um, uh, if Maimonides is, uh, I think Maimonides is probably not right about that analysis because it's possible, as you can see in lots of different communities, to eat just as unhealthy uh, with kosher food as you uh, can with non-kosher food. Um, you know, so and I'm sure it was true in Maimonides' time too. So, um, uh, so, so that's really what we, uh, what what our objective is, uh, in some ways, in in looking at uh, the, uh, the the dietary laws um, uh, here, in, uh, which we're going to do sort of uh, uh, as they progress through the Torah, um, you'll see that virtually none of them come with rationales. And then our question that we can come back to is, okay, so like now that we have the data in front of us, um, what's the reason for this? Questions, comments so far before we uh, go on to the next thing? Okay. All right. Um, do you guys have your uh, course packets with you? Um, so, uh, turn with me. I wish like the whole thing was numbered, but where it's like class eleven, and then there's like page uh, page two. The class eleven has the big Hebrew national thing on there. The kashrut of which is an interesting question. Um, you guys all with me? It's uh, page two. Okay. Um, so a, uh, a, a, this is helpful. A few terms to start with. We looked uh, at, at uh, a couple of these. We talked about a couple of these already. Kashrut is the is the um, is the system of uh, Jewish food laws, um, which again are not laid out in one kind of fell swoop uh, in any place. Uh, but um, uh, nevertheless, like that's sort of the catch-all term. Uh, that we use to talk about the uh, uh, the institution of the of Jewish food rules. Um, kosher means uh, fit or acceptable uh, to be eaten. Um, treif, uh, which is a little bit ahead of the game in terms of uh, um, what we're what we're going to uh, talk about to start with. The treif in general means you know usually it's used as a catch-all term to mean unkosher. Um, 
but treif itself um, is is actually a technical term um, for a certain kind of unkosher thing, which we'll get to in a minute. But um, but in general, when you hear somebody say like it's either kosher or treif, right? They you know those are like synony- those are antonyms, right? Kosher and treif. Um, and heksher, um, which in Hebrew has the same root as the word kosher, kasher, kaf, shin, resh. Um, heksher is a, a symbol on a product um, that is put on by a rabbi or an institution that represents rabbis uh, um, that, uh, that, that indicates that that rabbi or that institution um, certifies that that item is kosher. Okay. Uh, depends on who you ask. Um, I, uh, so, um, uh, what's it, what's really important to know about hexers, um, and, and this is you know how um, most of the uh, um, in our sort of post-industrial uh, um, world, most of the Jewish world relies primarily on on uh, hexers on products. Uh, to determine whether or not they're kosher, even though most people don't really know um, who the rabbis are that are putting those certifications on those products and what that rabbi's set of criteria for determining whether that product is, uh, should or shouldn't be certified kosher uh, are. So it's a very complicated thing. Um, and so when, when, when a question like, uh, is there a hierarchy, and I say it depends on who you ask, um, uh, it depends on who you ask, right? So... Um, uh, um, you know, I would say that um, uh, the largest portion of the uh, 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 Jewish world that's observant of the laws of kashrut uh, um, accepts a handful, uh, almost universally accepts a handful of. Uh, I have to be very careful by like saying like things like like universally, right? almost universally accepts. Um, uh, certain hexures, like um, like the Orthodox Union's hexure, um, which is a, a U with a circle around it, uh, an O U. Um, there's a um, uh, what? A K. Okay, so a regular K, just the letter K, is actually uh, a debatable. Okay, um, so that's an interesting one. Um, uh, let's see, what, what else is, uh, I'd say that that's, but that's by far the most common one and the most widely accepted one. Um, uh, when I was growing up, going to a Jewish day school, uh, an Orthodox Jewish day school, um, we could only, like when we had like, you know, class parties, we could only bring products into school that had one of two hectares, either an OU or an OK, right? Uh, so that's a similar looking one with an O with a K. I actually don't remember off the top of my head who is the organization behind the OK. Um, Hebrew National, which you see there, is a triangle K. There's a lot of people who don't accept the triangle K. Um, it's, a, it's a complicated business, um, um, which, you know, uh, which, which makes the whole institution um, a little bit unhelpful if you scratch the surface of it. Uh, because, you know, my, uh, you know, if you say, like, is, you know, is this or that certification okay? I would say, you know, um, you really need to ask your rabbi. If your rabbi is me, it depends on what the certification is, and I'll tell you whether or not it's okay, and it kind of depends on context in a lot of instances. Um, that, yeah. That's really one of my biggest problems with this. Pardon me, beeps. Okay. Which part of that? The, the whole, is this hexure okay? Is that hexure okay? If you didn't read 
the, if you didn't read the OU website, you find out that three days ago somebody lost their Heckscher, he can get, I mean, maybe I've lived in more um, observant communities, right. but you can get screwed. Right. If, if you didn't read it that three days ago... Well, I guess there's a few lessons there. The first is always check the OU website. I just say I get you. So the, the second thing I want to say, the second thing I want to say, uh, which is I think a good rule of thumb, um, is um, there is a, uh, a a rabbinic principle based on a, a biblical passage. Uh, uh, the book of Deuteronomy says v'chai bahem. Um, which means you should live through the observance of the commandments. And the rabbis add on to that and they say, V'chai bahem, v'loshe yamut bahem. Right? You should live through them and not die by them. Right? You should speak to people I know this. That's fine. I'm happy to speak to anybody you want. But, but what, that, what that means to me is, you know, there's a, there's a certain amount of, um, you know, um, uh, um, reasonableness and, uh, and uh, you know, um, uh, um, just sort of like acceptance of life that comes with the observance of commandments, right? So um, I don't think that the Torah intended for you to check the OU's website every day. Um, the Torah didn't, uh, I think, foresee a uh, heavily industrialized food world um, that would require things like hackers. And so what I would say is you've been using that, you know, OU certified product. You find out, you know, you use it every day, right? It's, it's, your, it's your breakfast cereal that you eat every day. And you realize, you know, uh, a month later after eating it every day that, you know, um, three weeks ago the OU said that it's no longer kosher. What you should say to yourself is, oh, well. Right and and like you know, that you know let the bygones be bygones and like you you ate it it was an accident right um, look into the reason that the OU pulled its certification right sometimes the reason for it pulling its certification is not always having to do with the actual cost route of the product um, sometimes it's, uh, companies like just don't want to pay for the certification anymore because it's very expensive it's a it's a complicated business um, so that's so my 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 general rule of thumb is um, is. Uh, uh, is is that you know it is it is possible to uh, uh, to go crazy and kill yourself over the observance of the commandments and uh, my general rule of thumb is that God probably didn't want us to go crazy and kill ourselves over the observance of the commandments a certain degree of carefulness and uh, and and um, uh, um, um, Seriousness, I think, is important, right? Uh, these are, after all, supposed to be uh, um, godly commandments, uh, but uh, but you know we're 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 only human and not angels. They're just a lot of. They may be godly commandments, but there are a lot of ungodly things done through them. Uh, yes, um, Which but is my but you know, I mean. Um, uh, it, that is true of, um, of virtually any system as uh, as interpreted and applied in the in in the human experience, right? So, we have a pretty good constitution, right? But sometimes it allows for some really nasty things, right? Um, uh, depending on one's interpretation of it and uh, how the laws get played out, right? I mean, you know, so it's not just true of uh, of, of Torah; um, it's true of a lot of things. Um, Okay. Other other questions or comments before we? Uh... I just thought my son is a, a veterinary that uh, uh, takes care of poultry products, and you can 
kosher. You can kill a, a slaughter a, a chicken to be kosher, but it's still going to have salmonella in it, no matter how, what you do, unless you cook it right. uh, above 160, 170 degrees. So it's like uh, the, the disease of the pig. Right, so that's a so that's a really good point, right? To say that you know that like you know uh, plenty plenty of the other animals and foods that are um, that that are acceptable to eat um, are are not necessarily um, uh, any you know bear any less risk for the person who doesn't know how to cook them properly, right? Um, so that's 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 an important thing to keep in mind. Um, okay, all right. So let's look at, uh, at at this from the ground up. Okay. Um, so uh, if, you, if you think about the Torah as like sort of a linear document, even though, as we've talked about a few times, it may or may not have been written as a linear document, but, but it was certainly arranged as a linear document. And, uh, um, you know, it starts with the creation of the world, creation of human beings. Um, and, uh, and the first human beings in the Bible are given the first set of dietary laws, right? And so you can see um, uh, in, in chapter one of Genesis, God says to... Uh, um, to the first human, um, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. All right? Um, that's um, essentially the only uh, dietary law that's given to the first human beings, which most people, uh, and this isn't just like, you know, fruity conservative Jews, um, even uh, um, uh, um, uh Orthodox uh, commentators, and before there was such a thing as conservative and orthodox uh, commentators, um, interpret from this that originally God intended human beings to be vegetarians, um, and maybe even maybe even vegans to be, to look at this, right? That you're not supposed to eat animal products, right? You eat you eat plants and plants and seeds and stuff. Um, now, why that is is uh, is again you know sort of up for speculation. Right? Um, it doesn't say you know, why God only gives uh, those, uh, those foods to the first human beings. Um, but you know, there are plenty of reasons to speculate about uh, why, why God, you know, why you know, people today are vegetarians, and you can ask lots of them you know, uh, why uh, they don't eat meat. And I would venture to guess that by and large the answer is some version of, uh, of, a, of a moral argument. Right? Um, that eating meat is less sustainable than eating uh, 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 plants um, that uh, um, that uh, um, uh, that that animals are um, not so distant forms of life than human beings, and in, on some level, it's uh, um, you know no less uh, uh, murderous to take the life of an animal uh, to eat it than it would be to take the life of a human being in order to to eat it. Um, uh, that. Uh, um, um, you know that, that that animals have a right to living um, uh, and not uh, and, and don't uh, have a responsibility to, to you know just be here for our pleasure and on and on and on. You could come up with, with any uh, number of reasons. Um, that law stands until uh, the generation of Noah and the flood, which is um, by the Torah's chronology ten generations after the creation of the first human being. Um, and so after the flood, God blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. 
The fear and dread of you will fall on all the beasts of the earth and all, all the birds of the sky and on every creature that moves along the ground and on all the fish in the sea. They are given into your hands. Everything that lives and moves about will be food for you. Just as I gave you the green plants, I now give you everything. But you must not eat meat that has its lifeblood still in it. Okay, so there are two things that that um, uh, passage does. Um, the first is... Uh, um, it, uh, it, it gives permission for the first time in biblical history for human beings to uh, to eat animals. Right? It doesn't necessarily limit what animals human beings could eat. And I just like Noah gets this commandment, you know, like right after he gets off the ark. And I can just like imagine like all the animals are like 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 processing off the ark, and God is speaking to Noah, and all the animals are getting off the ark. And they're like, wait, wait, what? Right? Um, <laughs> like, why did you save us? You know. Um, <laughs> So, um, but anyway, that's, that's what happens. Um, and, and a lot of commentators um, think that, you know, that, that the um, sinful quality of human uh, civilization that led to the flood was its murderousness, its bloodthirst. Um, and so the, uh, the, 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 um, uh, the uh, uh, permission to eat meat that God gives to Noah um, is in, in some sense, you know, a, a capitulation to, to the human desire to take life, right? And say, it's better for you to take the life of an animal than it is for you to take the life of another human being if you have to take a life. And so maybe it'll be an outlet for your, for your violence and your rage, right? That's what a lot of the commentators say. So it's like, God's like not crazy about it, but it's like better than people killing each other all the time. Take that, you know, if, if you like that, Great. If you don't, okay. Uh, I'm just saying. Um, then the second part of it is you must not eat meat that has its lifeblood still in it. Okay. So the uh, um, the uh, there, there's a couple of pieces of that. The first is, as it sounds, um, and someone mentioned before that uh, um, uh, that we we get we're allowed to eat meat, but we we have to drain out the blood of an animal um, uh, in order to uh, eat that meat. Um, now, you know, why we have to do that, that's an interesting question. Um, and again, the Torah doesn't give a, a reason for that, right? The Torah doesn't say, don't eat it with the lifeblood. And like, in another place, it says a similar thing. It says, because the life of the animal is in the blood, right? So that's, but that's not really an answer. That's like saying, you know, like, you know, what's, what's the definition of a balloon? A balloon is a balloon that has a string, right? I mean, it's like, it, you know, um, so it's not really a great answer. But anyway, that's, that's the, uh, uh, and the, but there's all sorts of things that you can, you can speculate, uh, everything from um, in the ancient world, people believed that uh, um, blood had spiritual power, where, which is, you know, um, one of the theories about uh, what the ritual um, uh, of Passover with the death of the firstborn and painting the blood on the doorpost so that it prevents God from coming in. Um, uh, there's an earlier scene in Exodus where um, where God is coming to kill Moses in the desert, um, but uh, his wife circumcises their son and like throws the blood at, bloody foreskin at Moses' feet um, and says, "You are a bridegroom of blood to me." And then God doesn't want to kill Moses anymore. So there's there's a lot of. Uh, uh, arguments about that, that there's some sort of like spiritual quality, spiritual power um, that the ancients thought blood had. Other people think of this more as like a, um, an ethical thing, right? It's, uh, it's, um, um, it's barbaric to, uh, to not only um, uh, kill an animal, but to, uh, um, but to consume it effectively while it's still alive. Um, you know, there's all sorts of arguments. 
Anyway, um, the other way, the, the other aspect of that that the rabbis interpreted is not only that you can't eat uh, meat that has its lifeblood in it, um, but uh, that you uh, that you are that um, one is not allowed to eat uh, um, a, a limb torn from a live animal. Okay, so um, there are. Uh, based on this and some other passages in the story of Noah, there are um, considered to be seven commandments given to the children of Noah, um, which are the seven laws that, uh, that, that all human beings, according to Judaism, are supposed to live by. You know, and among them is the obligation not to murder, um, uh, to establish systems of courts and, and justice, um, and uh, to not eat... Uh, um, blood with, uh, with, with meat and not to eat a limb torn from a live animal. So not to eat a limb torn from a live animal, it means a couple of things. First means what it sounds like. Um, like, you know, uh, don't, uh, don't go to a cow that's living, chop off its leg and then eat it, right? Um, but it also means that um, uh, one is not allowed to um, uh, eat uh, meat from an animal that was not fully dead uh, when the meat was taken from it, right? So that's a that that's that sounds similar, I know, but it's a little bit more tricky when you think about the fact that sometimes it's hard to determine like what exactly does dead mean, right? Does dead mean brain dead? Does dead mean stops breathing? Does dead mean its heart stop? You know, right? We have this problem in in thinking about what does death mean for human beings all the time. So it's true for animals too, right? So um, so so it it sounds pretty simple. It's actually a little bit complicated, right? Um, so, you know, does uh, um, so how dead does the animal need to be before you can, you know, uh, cut the steak from it? Right. Um. Uh, my mother was very strictly kosher, and even though she would buy meat from the kosher butcher, she fended, and I can't remember which was one hour, which was three hours. But you're supposed to soak the meat right. and then salt the meat. Right. And I can't remember which was one hour and which was three. Right. So because she because of this making sure right. that there was no blood. Right. So the so so Huh? Or taste. <laughs> or taste. I don't know. Um, but uh, but but part of the process. Of, uh, of of making you know uh, we'll get to it in a second you know because there's only certain kinds of meat that are even theoretically kosher right but uh, but even then right animals have to be killed a certain way uh, and have to actually be dead uh, in order to eat them you have to drain the blood the draining of the blood not only includes you know the actual act of draining the blood from the animal after as it's being slaughtered but actually making sure that all the blood is uh, taken out of the meat. Right, and which is done usually by a process of uh, soaking and salting. Um, okay. Uh, uh, questions, comments so far? Well, we, we start with uh, tearing a limb from a living animal, which is an, an extraordinarily cruel thing. Then we uh, add on to that, and we amplify it, and we add the rules and add the rules, and then it becomes whether it's one hour or three hours, yeah, we're, we're, we're making the rules. Right. We start with the basic concept of, is this a, a cruel act in and of itself? Right. Does that then lead to the other thing? Well, okay, so there's, uh, I think you're absolutely right. So the, I think that the, the, the first thing to note here is that um, um, the, the notion of draining the blood from an animal, not eating a limb from a live animal, 
I think it's a pretty, uh, one can make a pretty compelling argument that those are uh, uh, laws based in a sense of uh, morality and um, treating animals humanely, right? Um, the, 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 the particulars of it, um, I, I think, are all designed in some ways to achieve the objective, right? Um, so um, the, the law says you can't eat uh, um, meat with blood in it, right? Um, so uh, the rabbis say, okay, so how, how do you take the, how, what's the most effective way to, to extract blood from meat? Right? And two, how do you know when enough blood has actually been extracted to not put you in a place where you're violating the biblical rule? Right? And so it can seem from time to time that these things like one hour, three hours, whatever, are really arbitrary. But um, the, way, the way they're laid out in, um, in, in uh, rabbinic law is, I think, actually far from arbitrary. They're, what they're trying to determine is um, how do we get... Uh, how do we come closest to the value that's being expressed in the in, in the law itself? Right, the law saying you got to take out the blood. Okay, so what's the most effective way of doing that? And how do we know when it's all out? Right, um, and there are debates around those very questions in, in the in 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 the Talmud. Um, uh, some of them kind of gross, but uh, but that's but that's that's the should be. You know, so so uh, you know some of these uh, some of the questions about the development of laws you know that, that, that Debbie raised uh, at the beginning which we'll keep on coming back to and, and that, that you're raising um, it, in a lot of instances um, though they, they seem far removed from the original biblical precept um, when one understands what the rabbis were getting at through implementing those laws um, I think one can see how they're um, really a, 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 a fulfillment in a lot of ways of what the precept is, uh, was originally laying out. Okay, let's look at it a little bit further. So, the, so we uh, have more development in uh, a little bit later in Genesis. So you have uh, the story of uh, Jacob wrestling with a mysterious person. Maybe it's a man, maybe it's an angel, we don't know, but uh, they have this fight, and, um, and the uh, man slash angel... Uh, um, wrenched uh, Jacob's hip uh, at its socket, um, and uh, and after the fight, Jacob uh, gets up and uh, and has a and has a limp. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip, otherwise known as the sciatic nerve. Um, uh, we don't eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. Um, might as well. Might as well. In in a human being or in a cow? Because I maybe in a cow. Um, because the, the 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 anatomical renderings that I've seen, um, the sciatic nerve, you know, it's it. I mean, it's 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 at the hip. I mean, it's sort of like the hindquarter, right? Um, I guess that's sort of the hip. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> what? A nerve is not a. Yeah, well, so that that's part of it. So it doesn't say what cut is kosher and what cut is not, but it does say that no matter what cut you have, uh, let's say you had a cut taken from the hindquarters, you, you you would have to extract that uh, 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 that tendon or that nerve. Um, uh, before you ate it, 
Um, so today, for example, I mean, the, the, the most, uh, I think, common example of that is filet mignon, right? Um, so, like, it's very hard to get kosher filet mignon because uh, the, the, it's, it's too costly and labor-intensive to, uh, to you know, extract the sciatic nerve from all the hindquarters of all the cows. So usually kosher slaughterhouses, if you're a little squeamish, you can cover yours with this one, usually kosher slaughterhouses cut off the, the, the uh, hindquarters of all their animals and, and sell those to the non-kosher uh, meat packers and butchers um, because it's just too hard. So usually the kosher version of a filet mignon is... No, it's a sirloin is also hindquarters. Um, uh, it's it's like it's like part of the ribeye, I think. I don't know. Anyway, um, anyway. Um, all right. Um, the most comprehensive set of um, of dietary laws come from uh, they're, they're reiterated almost verbatim in two places in the Torah. Um, this is on page three. Um, the first is in uh, Deuteronomy. Uh, first is in Leviticus, and, and the second is in Deuteronomy. But they're virtually identical in both places. Um, and here you get a uh, an, an indication of a rationale at the very beginning. Although the rationale is a little bit hard to pick apart, it's you know it's up to interpretation. So do not eat any abomination. Okay. Um, abomination uh, is a term used in the Bible uh, for a whole host of different things, uh, and um, uh, it's a little bit unclear what an abomination like really means. Like, what does that mean? Don't eat any abomination. It could mean, and a lot of scholars think this. Um, this is why. Uh, this is another argument for why the Torah wasn't really getting at health here, um, but maybe talking about. Um, Aesthetics, right? Um, right. So, like, don't eat any gross thing, right? The, and this is going to be a list of like the, the gross things that you can't eat, right? That may have been actually what they're talking about. Other uh, uh, scholars think, you know, since uh, these are are largely texts that were written by priestly authors, and the priestly authors liked like whole and complete things, um, like like clean categories. Um, so the things that are acceptable to eat um, are like. What, what they consider to be sort of like like more uh, more I want to say perfect but like uh, um, creatures that had the whole package you know um, uh, and uh, and things that you couldn't eat were things that were like had some kind of like um, uh, uh, physical defect or flaw or something like that okay but anyway that's all just to say that it says don't eat an abomination that's the rationale but I don't know what an abomination means um, the the way the rabbis the Hebrew word is toeva, uh, and the rabbis uh, often in, uh, interpreted that phrase as um, uh, toe ataba, which means uh, this is something that causes you to err or stumble. Right. So that if you apply that rationale to the list of animals, you get an argument for you know like the you are what you eat sort of thing. I think you know. So like um, if you eat certain things that have certain kinds of qualities, they lead you to live a certain kind of spiritual and, and moral life. If you don't eat those things, then you uh, adopt the qualities of the better qualities of the, the things that you're supposed to eat. Um, you could interpret it in different ways. Okay. Um, and these are the animals you may eat. 
The ox, the sheep, the goat, the deer, the gazelle, the roe deer, whatever that is, the wild goat, the ibex, the antelope, and the mountain sheep. You may eat any animal. Okay, so it's not only those animals. By the way, it doesn't mention cow there, right? So that's how you know it's not only those animals. You may eat any animal that has a split hoof and that chews the cud. Okay, a split hoof means it's got hoofs that look like this, right? Or like more, probably more like that. Um, and chews the cud means that uh, it has multiple stomachs and regurgitates its food and, and eats its food multiple times. However, of those that chew the cud or that have a split hoof, you may not eat, right? In other words, if it has only one or the other of those qualities, you can't eat those. Um, uh, and so it has to go out of its way because you would assume by, by the Torah saying you have to eat animals that have split hoof and chew its cud, that animals that don't have split hooves and don't chew their cud, you would obviously say, okay, the Torah doesn't want me to eat those things, right? But what about animals that have either a split hoof or chew their cud, right? That's the complicated thing. So that's why it goes out of its way to lay those out. And, um, and, and it lays out the camel, the rabbit, or the hyrax are the ones that... Uh, uh, um, uh, um, chew cud but don't have a split hoof um, and the pig the pig is, is also impure although it has a split hoof it does not chew the cud now I heard somewhere I never really looked into this but maybe it's true um, I, I like reporting like hearsay and you know saying that you know, maybe it's true maybe it's not but because I'm saying it it you know, has an air of authority um, I heard someone make an argument once that like you know the Torah was written by God because um, you know, in, uh, in, in, in ancient Israel, um, uh, the Torah managed to list all the species uh, that are known in existence to have uh, uh, either one or the other of these qualities. And to this day, uh, researchers have yet to find any other animals that, uh, that only have one or the other of those qualities, a split hoof between the cut. Now, Extra credit if you find me an animal that's not on this list that has either split hose or chew its cut. But uh, and then I can like write back to that guy and say it's not a good argument. But um, or maybe he's right. Um, but anyway, so um, so that I think you know uh, more than the the health reason is why the pig is singled out as an unkosher animal is because you might think that you can eat the pig because it has split hooves, and so the Torah wants to go out of its way to say. But note that it doesn't chew its cud, and it has to have both split hooves and chew its cud. So that's why pig is uniquely singled out, not because the pig is like worse than any other animal, uh, but because it doesn't have both of the, those characteristics of both those qualities. So are you saying that um, this, that's the total list of the uh, animals that were in existence in those times? Just that, the camel? That had, just, just the pig that has a split hoof and doesn't uh, chew its cud? So that was the argument that that guy was making. He may or may, may be right or may not. I mean, right. the, the Torah lists out the general category, which is uh, you know, anything that has split hooves but doesn't chew its cud is not kosher, and it singles out the pig. Um, uh, one would presume because it, it was either a common animal that, that had only one of those features or maybe it was the only known animal that didn't have uh, that only had one of those features. Although that's, that seems sort of implausible because why give the category then, right? <laughs> Say like, like here is the only it could have easily said here's the only animal that we know of that has it's only one. Yeah, but it mentions yeah. camel. That because those chew their cud but don't have split hooves. Right, the pig has split hooves, 
and doesn't chew its cud. Yeah. Um, now, going back to the you are what you eat category, the rabbis of the Midrash um, uh, had, uh, had something that I love um, about, the, uh, about the pig, right? The pig, um, they said, um, uh, lays, you know, like um, up to its like knees with its like legs in the air in filth. So, like, you don't see the, the, like, top part of it. You only see the hooves as if he's, like, trying to say, like, look at me, I'm kosher, I'm kosher. Um, uh, hiding the part of him that is not kosher. Um, so it's a deceitful animal, and that's why we uh, shouldn't even... I, I don't say you got to buy it. I'm just saying that that's what the rabbi is, the midrash. That was for the pig's benefit. Was that? That was for the pig's benefit. That was for the pig's benefit. So for the, people the, the pigs. For the, right, okay, fine, right. So the pig is smart and crafty. Um... Good. Okay. Anyway, so that's uh, um, uh, um, and you know you can't you you, you can't eat them uh, or touch their carcasses, which is why um, there are lots of Jewish uh, uh, owners of NFL teams, but not a lot of Jewish players. Okay. I said. I said. Uh, you're not to eat their meat or touch their carcasses, which is why there's a lot of uh, Jewish football team owners, but not a lot of players. <laughs> that's, that's the reason. That's the reason. That's the reason. Uh, okay. Um, so the, so the, the, the text here is laying out sort of categories of animal, right? So it starts with um, uh, land mammals, and then it goes to uh, sea animals, right? So sea animals. You may... Before we get to the next category, the fish. Yes. Uh, Al did ask this question earlier. And I just don't know if anybody has a rationale. Okay. Why why do we have this duality of chewing the cud and the clover? Why the two of them together? Uh, I don't know if anybody has a suggestion for me, but I think that was a great question. Yeah, it is a really good question. Um, and, uh, and again, you know, like in, in some ways it's only speculation. The, 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 the most compelling theory that I've heard um, is, uh, is, is that the... Uh, um, um, you, you know, like sort of ancient taxonomy, um, uh, even though they didn't have a theory of evolution, um, saw uh, uh, those qualities of animals as being sort of uh, um, um, higher on, an, on sort of like an evolutionary scale, right? So, um, uh, and, uh, and, and that if you... It, and, and only an animal that had both of those qualities was sort of uh, um, uh, that ele- that elevated, right? Had that had that uh, had, had had reached that. It's not so much the spiritual level, but it's sort of like biological level of perfection. Um, and animals that didn't don't. There are other possible reasons. I and mean, the other, you, know, you look at the animals that are on the list uh, of split hose and chew its cud. Um, they are all. Looks to me animals that are um, uh, uh, have the capacity to be domesticated, right? Um, so maybe that's a practical consideration, right? It's it's easy to farm those kind of animals, easier to farm those kind of animals, and therefore easier to eat those kind of animals. Um, uh, part of that might be a, uh, a, a sort of like you are what you eat argument, right? That like they're more they can be they they can be made to be more docile. Uh, than wild animals, um, uh, they're they're all vegetarian animals, right? So, so none of them uh, eat, uh, eat eat other animals. Um,
think that those are all possible uh, explanations of, uh, for animals in that category. But, but again, a lot of it is speculation because it doesn't give us a reason.